100%. Yeah, which is why I love Krishna's approach with it in that it is a spectrum and there we we're incredibly talented, we're incredibly smart. There's so many amazing people in this world. If we actually you know, if everyone started speaking up and talking about what they're seeing and feeling and noticing and, and if we did all band together in that whole idea of oneness, we could do an incredible amount. It's just that we focus our energy often on the wrong things or not necessarily the wrong things, the things that we think that matter that don't. So what would Krishna's advice be to people listening to this? How can they make a difference in the event, in the shift? in the coming calamities how can they i think that one of them we've discussed a few like not being silent is mm -hmm. yeah speaking up not being scared of ridicule and judgment and being ostracized i think that's a big one that's why i read that whole chapter what else would krishna say? yeah i think i think two major things one is is not not disregarding the impact you can make in your own backyard and in your own local community and how much change you can actually make and how just by you knowing your local you know land and how everything works how much change you can affect in your area and that logically if we all did that that things would naturally improve um, the other thing is that we're all here for a reason you got to accentuate the positive wow, I feel good. a little bit of feel good goes a long way you're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome Hello. to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So great to be with you again. I have a really gorgeous, delicious Australian <laughs> galactic goddess to introduce you to today. Her name is Courtney Beck and she has just written an amazing book called Conversations with Krishna. So I haven't had Krishna on the show. So I thought we have Krishna on the show through Courtney. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Karen. I'm very happy to be here. Now, Courtney's up near one of my favourite places on the planet, near Byron Bay, which is just divine. A bit hot in summer, I find, but perfect in winter actually yes. in summer in the ocean up there there's all those stingers that for people that are listening from overseas they're going to go ah australia's full of things that can kill you <laughs> insects yes, it is <laughs> yeah we, we've actually been going down every morning and doing some bodyboarding and it's just been beautiful but we've That's been it. we've been blessed with very clear seas and no stingers which has been amazing yeah sometimes they're a bit further north but in summer you get these terrible sort of stinger jellyfishes up there but anyway we won't talk about that let me read you courtney's amazing bio because um you're going to love this story and we're going to talk about the book so courtney beck appeared to have it all she worked in advertising as well as well-respected and well-paid strategist for some of the world's top brands and after years of climbing the corporate ranks, Courtney finally attained her dream position. She had a wonderful family, close friends, circle of friends, and lived in a beautiful home by the uh, water in Australia's upscale Sydney Harbour. Where were you in Sydney when you lived in Sydney? Uh, Cremorne Point, which is a beautiful spot just across from the Opera House, basically. I know, gorgeous. You did have it all according to what we're supposed to have. Yes. Just shy of Courtney's 35th birthday and only two months after the role she had 
worked her entire life to land, she experienced what those in the spiritual world know as the dark night of the soul. A time of unexpected, unplanned, deep introspection when we question our very purpose, why we are here on earth. The divine voice, a divine voice, called out to her, asking her to pursue a path she never imagined. The problem for Courtney was that this deeply personal transformation was not easy to explain to her loved ones, nor was there a box for it on a company form. I love that. <laughs> so true. What religion? Dark yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, where am I? Where am I? I've lost my place now. Where's the company? Box around a company for. She couldn't ignore it. She could ignore it and continue down the traditional path that she had trod. Or she could answer the call, knowing that life as she knew it would change forever. You know, this is such a this is such a common story with so many people who are waking up, well, you know, waking up now and um in December 2016, Courtney jumped off a corporate ladder in favour of living a simpler, more meaningful life, pursuing her talents she's always had but never talked about, her ability to channel messages from the other side or different dimensions. Yes. She began to scribe a series of manuals for life on earth as we are destined to live. These guidebooks are dedicated to all seekers and illuminate a new way forward and a greater understanding, meaning and purpose. Today, Courtney spends her time as a channel, healer and coach for individuals and organisations. While she makes her home in her native Australia, she has clients all over the world and helps those she works with realise they are capable of more than they ever dreamed possible. Yeah, human potential. Love it. We'll see their human potential. We have no idea who we are. We think it's all about making money and going on trips overseas and, I don't know, going to expensive restaurants, but it's so not, right? Yeah, and I think, I think that was probably the hardest thing that I found was I had no idea how much of my identity was tied up in, in who I thought I was and the image that I presented the world and what I was good at and how much money I made and all of those things that we cling to to give us some sense of identity. But that's what we're programmed to believe. Yeah. 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 I think the biggest blessing I ever had in life, and it took me probably 30 years to get it, was that I was never good at making money. So I was always striving to make some sort of money and it was never happening for me. And reading your book, Conversations with Krishna, how many times it says in there, don't pursue money, don't pursue money, yeah. don't pursue money. It's like he says it like repeatedly, repeatedly. Yeah. So, okay, let's, well, we've kind of, 2016, you decided to dedicate your life. Let's go into your story a little bit. What was happening to you um, when you went through your dark night of the soul? For people that are in their dark night of the soul, maybe this will help. Yeah, so I was, um, I'd, I'd obviously, as you mentioned, I'd, I'd attained my dream role, which was working as a strategy director um, for a big media organization. And it was, it was essentially the role that everyone said to me, man, like, Court, you are set now. You could just sit back in this job for the rest of your life and just cruise. Yeah. And, and it was just like all of these, all of these boxes had been ticked, but then I just felt this emptiness inside and it was interesting too because it, it had corresponded with my partner Jules being very sick at the time. So it was like my life was 
brought drastically into perspective that I could either follow this path of, you know, um, I guess, um, affluence and reputation and all of these things. And, or I could stop and really focus on, on what was going on at home for me, which was, um, you know, Jules had tremendous health challenges and, and was really, I guess, questioning her time on earth here as well. So it all just kind of, my life essentially blew up all at once. I was sitting in this beautiful, you know, beautiful office in Sydney, having everything I, sh- I thought I should have wanted only to feel like it didn't mean anything anymore. And, and, and that was just gut wrenching because when, when you've spent years climbing this ladder only to get there and go, Oh wow, the view's not actually as good as what I thought it would be. <laughs> and, and knowing too, that I would have to give up essentially everything. Cause I'd, I'd always loved having side projects and I was always doing writing and all kinds of other things, but I'd, to to pursue this role it would have been so all-encompassing I would have had to have given up whilst whilst I would have gained a lot I would have had to have given up a lot of the things that I really loved as well um but yeah it really I, I ended up quitting the role two months in to it so I was smart enough to recognize that it wasn't going to get any better I bet your bosses were shocked but yeah I just, but yeah. I just want to um just something that stood out when I was reading the book yesterday uh, about enjoying the journey you know we always we, we're always striving to achieve the goal I think it was under goals and he said you know when you climb mount or they said when you climb a mountain uh, I think they said mount Everest you know how long can you stay at the top you can only really stay there to take a selfie and say I have reached the top and then you've got to go because it's like too cold up there yeah. so he said you know, the goal is never the goal. It's the journey. That's the goal. Like it's the journey. It's the journey up the mountain. It's the journey down the mountain. Enjoy yeah. both of them. Both of them are life-threatening, really. I mean, you know, climbing a mountain. And I thought, yeah, that's so true. When you're up the top of the mountain, you're there for a nanosecond. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you spend yeah. so much time and money thinking about the goal and you're there for a nanosecond. Yeah. And I think, I think too, we invest so much energy in thinking that when we're going to get to this place, that it's going to, it's going to fill us up. And because I think, I think essentially we're all born with, you know, a hole in ourselves to a certain point where we're, we're constantly trying to fill it mm-hmm. with things and that we believe that, you know, if, if we can just get to that next thing, that's when I'll be happy. Yeah. And, and that's what I thought. And I'd, I got there and it was, it was horrible. And, and it sounds crazy. It's very much a first world problem to be, you know, given a whole lot of money and, and to go, wow, this is not what I thought it would be. But ever since I was really little, I'd always felt like I was here to do something good in the world. And so working on alcohol brands and banks and telecommunications companies and solving things for them, I was like, that's not really what I thought I would be doing with my skills either. Mm. Um, And it was only funny because, because Jules was so sick and we'd been to see so many different specialists and things that I actually remembered that I'd, I'd done Reiki as a kid and I was like, man, maybe I should try a Reiki on Jules. Maybe I just really, and it, it was total desperation because we'd turned to every medical expert that we could um, only for me to, to, to go, okay, maybe this is what I need to try. And, and Jules and I frequently talk about it now that potentially if she hadn't had been as sick as what she was, that maybe I wouldn't have been pushed to go down this path. Oh, it just seems crazy that we have to reach a point of desperation to try something like an energy healing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I, that just speaks to how conditioned we are. It really does. I yeah. mean, I don't know. I was not academic, so I didn't climb any corporate ladders. So I was like into it from the get go, you know, but yeah. I wasn't under that conditioning. But I, that, most of the Western world is under that, you know. Anyway, so right. Okay, Reiki. So you tried Reiki and what happened? Well, what, what I found was that it came very easily to me. So ever since I was young, I'd, I'd always seen spirits and things, but I, I chose a very logical career. So working as a strategist, my, my job was to solve multi-million dollar business problems. So, you know, saying to people, you know, I see spirits, I talk to dead people was never going to come up in the boardroom ever. Um, I never wanted to talk about it. <laughs> And so I just, I pushed it down for years and it was only when I started tapping into it again that essentially, um, and I guess too at that same time as trying to help Jules, I thought to myself, okay, so what are you going to do? You've got all these skills. What's your plan? And, and so logically I thought maybe I'll just do meditation and just see, maybe that'll just help me clear my mind and maybe that's where I'll get an answer. And what I got was a spiritual awakening. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that is so cool. I love that. It's such a, I've, I've had many stories like this on the show before too. It's been the pain of their own body, like Michaela Sheldon. I think I've told you about her. Did you check her out? You know, she was just in chronic pain and she just, nothing was working. So meditation was the only thing. And then she had a spiritual awakening too. And now she's got access all areas. She's like channeling the cosmos. Um, wow. Isn't it interesting? It was funny too because um, when friends of mine would say to me because they they would ask why why I would quit this job and everyone would say yeah. but you were so good at it yeah. I said yeah but I hated it and and they would say to me but but what would you do if you weren't doing strategy and I I'd gotten to this point of just not caring anymore and so I would say to people all I want is someone to just give me a lab where I can just sit and learn all of the information in the world. And people would just look at me like I'd lost my mind, but I, I just didn't care at that point. But that, that was actually my wish because I've always loved learning. And so being a channel is, is brilliant because I can literally you have access to any question. And you know, that, wait, as soon as you said that, I had this image of the fifth element, you know, the girl, and she's, she goes to someone's apartment and she's turning on the telly like she's voraciously absorbing all this information, like where am I, this strange planet, what happens here? That's just the image I had when you said all I want to do is sit and learn. I was just thought about her. It's funny you say that though because I, I used to have bright red hair and people always say to me that I look like the girl from the fifth element. There you go. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I got... I'd, I basically got my wish. So I, I went out for a run one morning because I had being very logical once again. I thought, okay, meditation, exercise, like you, you, can, you can figure this out. And so I'd been out on a run and sat down to do a very mainstream five-minute meditation because that was all I could manage at the time. And um, I felt a spiral activate in my spine. Um, and, and then I felt like my arms had lit up like my forearms and into my hands and and obviously you know I've, I've channeled before um, and I would secretly channel things but never talk about it but yeah it all it all came through and I I was cold after going for a run so I thought I'm going to go and have a shower jumped in the shower and it was this strange moment where I looked down at my body and I heard so this is the body that you've chosen and and it was just instant that there was somebody else with me and it was almost like the first time I'd seen my body which was really strange and then 
I had all of these strange food cravings that day. I was really excited to drive the car, which I drive in our family. So I'd, driving is not exciting for me, but it was particularly exciting on that day. Um, but then I had the urge to write. So I just went with it, sat down at the computer. And that was the first four chapters of Conversations with Krishna that came through. Uh, I'm dying to ask you this question. Okay, so I'm going to go back. This is the body that you've chosen. Did you ask who's talking? Who, who is this? Well, I, I was a bit freaked out at that point. And so after the shower, I went into Jules, my partner, and I said, this just happened. Um, and, and Jules is the most incredibly understanding, gentle human being ever. And she just said, okay, well, let's just see what happens next. <laughs> so, but I didn't actually, so it was only, it was after channeling the first four chapters that I said, um, no, so it was before that actually, we, we were going out to dinner that night and it was to a friend of ours place and she's a yoga teacher. And I took it with me, the, the chapters I'd written and just said, you know, can you just read it and tell me what you think? just pure outsider's perspective. And she said, Court, this is Hindu cosmology. Where did you get this? And at that point I went, okay, this is really different. Um, and then the next morning I tuned in and said, can I ask who, like, can I ask who's calling? <laughs> and got, it's Krishna. And I, I didn't know who Krishna was at that point. How did Jules, <laughs> Jules had obviously studied some sort of um, Hindu yeah, so it was actually so it was this friend of ours, Emmy, the the yoga teacher, who said this is Hindu cosmology, oh, right. and, and that that really shocked me because I'd always been able to tune in to channel, you know, and I'd I'd been in touch with my guides and but never anything like this. It was all about the creation of the universe, uh, which was really different. You know, as I read the book, it feels to me like every other spiritual literature that's out there, but it feels like it's just it feels urgent. It feels simple. Yeah. It feels like it's just in really simple, but it feels urgent. The way it's written is there's so many you have tos, you must, you must, you have to, you must. Like there's just so many of those. It's just talking at us. It's like talk. It's like saying it's it's instructions. Yeah. Um, it's not wrapped in story, like a lot of channeled material. It's never wrapped in story. It's it comes through as pure information. And although you can totally grasp it at the time you're reading it, you go, yeah, right, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. It, I find through my brain that it's hard to remember because when you wrap information in story, it's kind of like, it's like, like gossip, but like you remember he said, mm. she said, that happened, this happened. Um, but a lot of channeled information is like that's not wrapped in story. And... Um, and it's not until you actually start to... It's, so you have to read it over and over and over again. And there's a lot of repetition in it, which I think is... Purposeful. Purposeful, yeah. Because it's just like, yeah, you need to sort of read it about a trillion times before it starts to really filter through your cells maybe. I don't know. Because like, like we talked about, we're so conditioned into another way of being. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely changes people. It has a power to it. Um, it's, it has really funny reactions when people see the cover of it or when people hold it, they feel the energy of the book. Like there's lots of stories that I hear about people who, you know, they can hold the book and ask questions and open it up and it'll be the perfect chapter or they'll be holding it in an airport and someone random will walk up to them and, and ask to hold the book. Like it, it holds a power to it. Um, 
I've been told that I'll be writing books for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I found that out very early on in the piece that that would yeah. be what I was, what I would be doing. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, what I wanted to ask you was, you know, when I'm reading it, cause I've been in this um, energy for a long time and reading books for a long time. It somewhat reminded me of, of Wayne Dyer's wrote a million books before he left his body. And they were very instructional as well. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and Wayne was a student of every religious philosophy. He was, a, and he always quoted from. He just took wisdom from everywhere and put it in his material. So it's pretty universal wisdom. Mm-hmm. I don't see it as Hindu or you know Krishna is like the Hindu god. Yeah, uh, it just is universal to me. And I want to get into who Krishna is, but um, because you know we we compartmentalize all this stuff. There's the Christians and the Buddhists and the Hindus yeah. and the Muslims and the this and the that. And they've all got different stuff, but really it's all the same stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually what I love about it because I was a flat out atheist prior. Right. I've, I've always been, so I've been really anti-religion since I came out of the womb. And I, I know because of all my past lives, what happened in those, that that's probably had a fair bit to do with why I felt the way I did. Well, that's the question I'm trying to allude to. <laughs> had you been a student of the Vedas or? No, and it's really funny because there's a, there's a doctor in New York that I work with. So I'll often get sent what I call special projects. And they're, they're people who, who come across my work, no idea how, and they'll come to me and say, I feel like I've been sent to you because you've got a message for me. And it's like Krishna is handpicking these people who have these really amazing skills, like this doctor in New York. So he's a software developer and, um, and a doctor, but Krishna's asked him to develop um, a product of some kind for when technology fails and people need to be able to self-diagnose medically. But he's a student of Hindu texts and he's actually read, so there's conversations with Krishna, but then there's two books that we've written after that. And he's read those texts and said that they are modern versions of, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, all right. of those. And, and so, so for me, because I've, I, I purposefully don't study Hinduism because I, I never want to be put in a position where someone could say to me, but, but Court, you've just read all of these books. So, yeah, it's, it, it was great to hear from him that it was so, it was just, yeah, um, a, a very modern day delivery and very simple for our very busy minds. Yeah. Okay, so this is the question I want to ask you, like who is Krishna? So when, when you said it's Krishna, like you said, who's calling? Yeah. <laughs> Did you, like, who is he? Can we ask you, like, who are you? Because, you know, so, the, the Hindus believe he's God. Because I was, you know, I was married to a Hare Krishna for a while. And like you, I have never been into any religion, any of them. But, you know, I, I, I enjoy aspects of all of them. And we used to go to the temple and eat all the food and enjoy it all and so on and so forth. But uh, he was really into it. And he, he told me a lot of stuff. And, you know, the Hindus revere, they call Krishna God. You know, but I don't know if he's... he's you know, we're all God in, in, we're all an extension of source energy, but I don't think he's, anyway, so who is Krishna? So, so Krishna, as we know him, is the Hindu deity of love, compassion and, and tenderness. And there's lots of amazing stories about him, about how he's an incredible musician and lover. And he's like this favorite God because he's, you know, kind of awesome in so many different ways. What I find him 
to be is just a very beautiful teacher and guide. And I, I joke that he's like my spiritual father um, in, in the sense that I, I, I think if I thought about him as a God, I would completely freak myself out. So for me, he is, he's an incredible teacher and, and, and I guess the man that I go to for all of my guidance and who's re-taught me about the world. Um, but he's very, I mean, they, he has a, a fantastic sense of humour and, and so much love and, and such brutal simplicity. I mean, his, his ability to make incredibly complex things so simple is just, I think that's what blows my mind the most. Um, but when I ask him, like when, when you ask the question, all I got back was, you know, I'm a man and, and I love the earth. And that's, that's so... Okay, so um, so reading it, I haven't read the Vedas. It's funny because years ago I went to a um, psychic. It was before I met my second husband. And she said, you have to read all the 24 books of the Vedas. And I'm like, do I? Mm. <laughs> she said, yes, if you're going to be a teacher, you have to know God's word and it's in these books. So that was her belief system. And I said, no, uh, doesn't sit, doesn't really sit with me, right? And then she said, and you have to be a vegetarian. And I'd been an off and on vegetarian all my time. And so she's giving me all these rules of what I have to do. And so I had paid the woman. So I thought, well, if you're going to pay the woman, get, you know, listen to her advice. But I was arguing with them. Anyway, within weeks of that reading, I met my husband who was this really, really, really strict vegetarian. And all he took with him around when he left his wife were the 24 books of the Apachos. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh, that's what she was seeing. She was seeing him but putting it through her belief system saying that you have to do this, right? I never read them. I, I flicked through them and felt not, not compelled to read them at all. Um, but I guess they're put in this book in really simplistic ways. Yeah, it's... Um, that's what I found reading Conversations with Krishna. It was just so simple. Yeah. So easy to digest and so simple. It's so simply put. And, um, yeah, so I wonder it's, if faders are like that too. Maybe they're not. Oh, they're, they're incredibly, I mean, when I have looked and I, I started reading the Bhagavad Gita after I'd written Conversations with Krishna, just because I thought, you know, God, if, 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 if this is his story, I should, I should be reading this. Um, but not at any point has he ever asked me to do right. any of that. All I've, all I've been asked to do is just to be an open channel and just to be exactly. service. But it was, it was really funny. One night I actually went to a puja, which is a, like an, a, a Hindu like blessing ceremony, and it went for three or four hours. And my knees get sore and, um, you know, I struggle to sit still for that long. And it was really funny because he was actually sitting next to me. And I said to him during the ceremony, I said, what do you think of this Krishna and he said it's nice but it's not necessary <laughs> and it was just like god I love you <laughs> oh <laughs> you're gonna kill all my friends that just religiously <laughs> do pujas I'm sorry in Sydney there's a lot of the eastern philosophy and curiosity. Yeah. I you know I don't teach that way like when I came back from India I um I had a plan to really make everything I teach very Western secular and not go too much into Eastern philosophies or Buddhist philosophies or any even really just to make it really like your book, right? Mm. And But there is so much, you know, I don't know, it's probably up in Byron too, pujas everywhere. Everyone's pujaring. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I, think he was, I think he was touched by it. But I think for him and, and from what I know of him, um, like I always remember him, 
I, I remember asking him one day, you know, what should we be aiming to do? And right. he said, just to approach the world with a gentle hand and a kind heart. And so to me, whilst we might have different regimes and, and methodologies and things that we like and that make us feel better and that provide a certain structure, because I think structure makes us feel comfortable. And right. I, I think how they see things is very simple. I th and he, he frequently tells me how much we overcomplicate everything. And why, you know, he asked me, why do you, why do you put these rules in place when we're not asking you? Okay. Okay. So how do you feel as a young Australian healer, teacher, with the responsibility on your shoulders of simplifying all those thousands of years of religious text and sort of dissing a lot of that dogmatic ritual because so much ritual involved in does it sort of weigh heavily on your shoulders or? Um, what, what weighs heavily on my shoulders is the reason why the books have been written. So right. um, that for me is, um, so when, when you spoke about earlier, there's all of the, all of the musts in, in the text and, and there is that sense of urgency. And I always say to people, like, when you read the book, you, you could read it as a really beautiful text and maybe from that point you won't kill insects anymore. Like maybe you'll see plants as being alive. And, and there's kind of two paths that you could take. You can take that path where it changes your life to a point and maybe makes you more conscious. But then if you actually read the subtext of the book, what you'll see is a very, which what you, is what you saw, is a very urgent message that we really need to change our ways. And so in Hindu, I guess in the Hindu faith, they break time on earth up into four different chapters. And so the first chapter, we're the most conscious we've ever been. And, and the fourth chapter is kind of like we're in the Homer Simpson era now, like we're the least conscious we've ever been. And yes. we hurt we hurt each other, we, we hurt everything, we overconsume. We're, we're quite, whilst we could think of ourselves as, as gods to a certain point because we master technology, you know, if technology fell over tomorrow, we'd be hopeless. <laughs> we could never survive on earth without all of these creature comforts that we've developed. And so what I've been told the reason the books exist is that they're essentially a map for getting humanity back on track. So where the first book conversations with Krishna is a guide or a manual for life on earth as we were destined to live. The second book um, is all about the path to enlightenment, but it's Krishna's perspective on that. And then the third book is, is universal law and it's Krishna's universal law. So his, his perspective on that again, but it's actually told through the rise and fall of Atlantis, which is fascinating. But the urgency that I've been told about is that in 2020 we're going to go through what Krishna and I guess that, that whole group that I speak to, um, what they very politely call a rebalance, which is where the elements will essentially start taking back the earth. And I, I think there's going to be an element of us destroying ourselves to a point because you've only got to you know, be logical and look at the news at the moment to see how much pain there is in the world and how much anger there is rising to the surface. You know, I got that wake-up call when we had Penny Kelly in the Inner Sanctum. So she's an amazing consciousness teacher, total amazing cosmic being. And uh, she had the Kundalini experience in the 80s. And 
she had beings come to her and show her all Earth's probable futures around this time, right, of how death and destruction and, you know, if you don't get your shit together, this is what you've got in front of you. And, um, and then she said in the Inner Sanctum the other day, I put a little snippet on the YouTube, that when she teaches her students to remote view, every time she gives them time and places, Mm-hmm. so like she'll give them a target won't tell them what they're looking at and every time she goes to 2021 they all say the same thing she is in america though i don't know if this is going to happen in australia but they all say the same thing the cities are all empty nothing's working yeah which is fascinating because i've i've been told that you know that our banking systems will fall over like i get like i said earlier these special projects that i get sent which are these incredibly talented and smart people who are in very logical roles in the medical industry and engineering and things like that, that Krishna has tasked them with creating things that will help us after the fall, which is how they refer to it. Right. And, and unlike, I guess, the Mayan doomsday prophecies and things like that where things will end on a particular day, what I've been told is that there's a spectrum that we're operating on mm-hmm. and that basically we have the next few years to reverse as much of what we've done as possible Right. So that the elements don't have to do as much in right. in the rebalancing. And so interestingly enough, I've been asked to concentrate on the US. Um, right. And, you, and with my work, you said you have a lot of US clients. Me too. I have a lot of US clients. You know, I had an Aboriginal guide speak to me recently. Show, I had posed the question, why is Australia such a huge land mass? and so arid and so uninhabited like mm. 22 24 i don't know what the count is million people on this massive landmass and then this aboriginal elder came to me and said because we're saving it for future earth there will be um big changes in populated areas uh, but we've made this land arid so that populations wouldn't come here in their current consciousness mm. and um and when things shift and consciousness changes, so will the earth change in, in, in Australia and it'll become more lush and green and more inhabitable. Mm-hmm. And then he said to me, in your future, beyond my lifetime, uh, Australia will be the most populated place on the planet. Interesting. That interesting? Very interesting. Yeah, it's been, it's been fascinating watching over the last couple of years of doing readings and healings for people and how initially it was all very lighthearted and, you know, this is your purpose and you should, you should get on to doing that because that's what you're here to do. Yeah. But then, I, you know, there is a definite sense of urgency that's come through in the last year. Yeah. Um, I get lots of, you know, photographers who the spirit world asks them to document the planet as it is now. Aww. I work with lots of writers who they say to them, make sure that your books are printed with a publisher that's actually going to last beyond what happens because people will need books. And so there's all of these plans getting put into place. Um, oh, that just spoke to me right there because I'm a real tech girl. I like everything to be on the computer. Like I hate the paper trail yeah. because I think, you know, you've got to chop down a tree and put, write a book. And so I'm into ebooks and anything you could watch, you know, but I got this book series up and running last year and started making physical books with the guides sort of pushed me to do it. And I'm like, why? We've got the computer. But if, if, if the grid is taken out, yeah, we won't have the computer for a while, not forever, but for a while. And mm. so we'll have to have the books back. Yeah. Ooh, that's kind of scary. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, I, think, I think that's the hardest thing. Like while I've been told that um, 
Krishna told me that with my second book that I would get publicly shredded for that. <laughs> that in, again? Publicly shredded? Yeah, as in that um, I think when I do eventually, because I'm, I'm still, I guess, I, I still feel like a baby in this world. Like I'm very new to this. You know, I watched, I watched your interview um, last night with Barbara Jean and, you know, she's been doing that for 30 years. And so funnily enough, I'm 37. So that really spoke to me because that was the year that she came into her work as well. And so while I've definitely um, stepped more into, I guess, the public eye, much more than what I used to feel comfortable with, I think the more I step into it, the more, you know, I'm potentially going to attract attention and, you know, people potentially not, not liking the work that I do. So that, that part actually doesn't worry me as much. I'm more concerned about the earth and getting ourselves sorted. But it's, um, I just think the younger generation are awesome. I hang out with a lot of them here in Sydney. Um, all my school friends kind of hang out with their own generation, but I hang out with the younger generation. I just love it. But the 30s is the time where we are doing career and family predominantly and that really takes a lot of our focus. So we need spokespeople like you who are in that, you know, in your 30s to speak to that, you know, those people that are hypnotised by crawling the corporate ladder and getting married and having babies. I mean, it's fine to do get married and have babies but to wake them up to a, a, a larger calling too. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big one to swallow and it's hard, um, you know, for a long time I felt like I knew a lot of information but I wasn't quite ready to start sharing it. Um, funnily enough, even after I'd written the book, I still really struggled to talk to people about it and how to. And it, it, it's hilarious because my, my whole career was built on my, my ability to speak and yet I couldn't speak about <laughs> about what I'd what well, I I've taken out a couple of chapters from your book and okay. one of them is called silence because this is what I speak about with my little inner sanctum tribe all the time and uh, so I took it out and it's like if you have woken you must seek to find those who have also woken awakened as uh, anything you are becoming aware of is what they have become aware of uh, there are a number of people who have woken up who are in the process of waking up. This is, an, this is an uncommon and strange feeling as you begin to question everything that is around you, which we spoke about. When those who have woken up, naturally, there is silence. The world we live in right now is driven by money, power and wealth. God, how many times he says that, you know, like, which is true, which is true. Uh, therefore, if you speak against it, those around you will question your intentions. People do not understand what has happened to you. Those who have not yet woken up do not want to question what they uh, do not know, nor do they want to be told the future here on earth is grim and it is um, in need of change quickly. <laughs> there is a sense, yeah. a huge sense of urgency. Therefore, those who have woken up tend to resist uh, remain silent observing as their mind continues to question change and growth so you sort of go into if you've woken up you must seek to find those so you repeat yourself again so it's really saying have these conversations with people despite being met with questioning glances and thinking you may have become unhinged you only have to look to silence to confirm the damage we are doing to the earth and those who ignore it 
are ignoring the fate of our world. You cannot simply look away and continue to earn money knowing that what is really going on will result in the end of money. It is a short-term view that does not help the earth or its people. If you have woken up, we suggest you get in contact with others who have awoken, woken up. You will feel at home amongst these people and you can begin making changes needed to create a better, healthier earth. It's just so important for people. You know, I say I attract the New World Teachers and the New World Teachers are people that have, there are having an awakening or that have had that um, I ask you not to be silent. Yeah. But, you know, in your, in your speaking about your experience, you're teaching others. This is yeah. what we're doing now, right? sharing your experience yeah yeah and i think it's it's really interesting speaking to a lot of people i know who are still you know um living in in sydney and still working in the corporate world but they have this feeling that they can't explain that they need to prepare to leave the city right and so and that things like that happen all the time i speak and they're like but where does this come from and so yeah. these these feelings are bubbling up in people but they don't know what to do about it and because everyone's too uncomfortable to say anything no one speaks but then we you know it is it is really hard and i i, I often would question you know krishna why me why did you pick a strategist from the city you know who worked on big banks and and telcos why why this girl and I, I wonder whether it's because my whole job was to figure out how to speak and deliver messages to consumers. So, you know, brands would bring products to me and I would have to go, okay, how do we need to talk about this in a way that is palatable for people that makes them want to listen to it? And, and, and I think that's what, that's what Krishna's done with, with the books is it's incredibly easy to understand. Most of the people that read the books aren't spiritual. They feel drawn to it for some reason they're very mainstream in how they think about the things and yet they read the book and they no longer kill insects. Their whole relationship with the earth changes. Um, how they think about themselves changes. They start to question if there's a larger purpose for them. Um, so it has this beautiful ripple effect. And, and for people who look at the book and go, it, it's incredibly simple. I, I think it's incredibly smart that Krishna has written it in the way that he has because it's so attainable to anybody. And even if you are on your spiritual path and you're quite far along, there is still so much in the book that can help reframe things for you. And yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So I'm still, I'm still on that question, like, who are you? Who are you? So, so I see him as a blue a a alien, you know, like. That's how I see him too. <laughs> um, who has obviously been around longer than Earth and was part of the creator beings who were creating this paradise because he speaks about in the book um is it vishnu or i can't remember that you know brahma i don't know brahma yeah what's brahma what's brahma is brahma a person brahma is the creator brahma is the creator so brahma is the name for god is it yeah so from from how krishna talks about um, so Brahma is the creator of this universe that we live in, this universe, but, right. but then he, he speaks about Brahma as being like an artist and how there's many artists in the universe right. and that the universe that we live within is essentially Brahma's creation. So what they're given is essentially a blank slate or a blank canvas and they paint that canvas. So while we have Brahma, there's, you know, other versions and other creators throughout the universe as well. So not just one 
there's actually many. <laughs> so I used to work in the film industry and I'm getting this analogy, you know, when you create a movie, yeah. you know, there's all these creative minds that come together to create this movie. Yeah. Like there's the makeup artist and the hairdressers and the clothing and the art directors and the lighting guys and sound and script editors. And yeah. So that's how I feel like the creative gods are all these creative beings coming to create the universe and painting all the li different little worlds, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what it is. And, and what I've come to realize um, lately is, is how important earth is in the scheme of things with other planets and how, you know, what happens on earth essentially creates a ripple effect to other planets as well. So there's a reason why earth is so heavily cared for and so influential. And it's because, you know, if, if things go to hell on earth, then chances are that's, that's going to move to other planets as well. So we're actually incredibly important. Yep. Yeah, and that's and that's not even talking about parallel timelines. Like Krishna will talk about how, you know, if a bomb goes off in in this timeline, that it can actually be felt as a ripple in the next timeline as well. And I've I felt I've hardly even gone into that. I've I've been so wrapped up in work. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, we, there's, there's so much we haven't even touched on. When I was reading the book, I was just thinking, oh, my God, there's so much more. There's so much more to come. So what are the name of the other two books? Are they out yet? So the second book, no, no. So um, hoping to head to the US. Um, so I've got a, an amazing literary agent over in the US. So the first book I self-published, um, but the second book, the second and third book, Krishna would love us to find a publisher that is going to stand the test of time and so did he make it through the four. a reason for that? Like... Because I'm self-publishing my books too and I think eh, publishers bar humbug. Did it give you a reason to find a publisher? Yeah, I mean, you know, America is, I mean, Australia is one thing but America is obviously a very busy and very loud market. So, you know, whilst it's a spiritual text that has blessings in a lot of ways, it's still going to require a pretty big marketing machine to obviously get, to get this out there to, you know, mainstream people because I think, I think spiritual people instantly read it and get it, but they're probably already on that path where they're right. fairly conscious. So these books are definitely for the, the mainstream. mainstream population and to help wake people up. So how do you sell a book to a corporate mind, young Australian healer channeling Krishna? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely not easy. I mean, I, I do get lots of people sent to me and they seem to be right at the point. Like I, I always joke that people come to me when they're on their knees um, because they've right. generally tried everything else and then they'll come to a healer for help. Um, but I think, I think that's probably why I was chosen to a point in that I, I can very happily and easily speak about you know, global issues in a way that is, is easy to understand. And I'm not massively woo woo whilst I yeah. love yeah. that strategy corporate background. Yeah. Let me ask you too, how does Krishna dovetail like with all the other religions? Yeah. Religion? That's a really interesting Christian. question. Christianity. Like how does it all work? I mean, I know that at the core of all of them is the safe message, like love each other. One, you're all one. Love yeah. each other. Love the planet. Love the earth. But how does it dovetail with all the other religions? So Krishna tells me that it all comes back to the same energy and that basically what we see and what we're drawn to 
um, I guess, manifests on, on who we were born to be. So, you know, for some people, you know, Jesus is, is more palatable for them and, you know, they feel drawn to his energy. Um, for me, it's funny because I've never looked into Hinduism ever, yet now I, you know, I love, I work with Kali and Krishna and um, Ganesha and, and it's so funny, I would never have picked Hinduism, but what I really love about that is they have such a, a beautiful appreciation of the light and the dark parts of ourselves. So where some religions can demonize, I guess, the shadow self, right. Hinduism embraces it and says, well, you're both light and dark at the same time right. and one's not going to fall away. That's just how you are. Yeah. Um, Play of opposites. Yeah, so he, he talks about, you know, um, that he's essentially the same as Jesus and, and that they're all, they're all the same. They just manifest, I guess, physically to us in different ways ways um so why did krishna look more human well he looks human but he's blue you know like why did he not appear more human well krishna walked the earth as a man right is that right yeah so um the the book that we've written universal law so that um that tells the rise and fall of atlantis and it actually tells it from krishna's perspective because he was there um so I, i think they do come down and manifest physically at different points through well, that was, that was the time where we were talking about, I don't know if that was on camera or off camera, you know, my uh, friend and client saying, you know, I've been on earth in the past, but it feels like I was here in the future where the past was more like the future because a- aliens were on the earth and we all walked together. We all knew yeah. about the cosmic family. We were, we, consciousness was more expanded that we were in a higher vibration than we are currently. Yeah. So I guess that a blue being was just like normal back then, like, yeah, blue being, you know, reptile being, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, well, it was, you know, from, from what he speaks about in the book on Atlantis, it was, it was, it was an incredibly diverse place where, where equality was, it was standard. Um, yeah. Unlike it is today where we have to fight for it and it's a huge, you know, um, it's a huge part of our, of our world um, and a huge separation between all of us. And religion plays a huge part, I think, in, in you know, separating and segregating us. Whereas back then, um, Atlantis was like this beautiful bubble where um, everything was equal and even all of the elements and everything, it was um, the web of life was essentially perfect and all just working in beautiful synchronicity but then he also speaks of how outside of Atlantis the world was very different as well so I think that Atlantis was one of the last beautiful places um, so Atlantis was a country I'm not saying a city more like a country and then there were other countries where consciousness was falling I suppose people were fighting and then it like infected atlantis and that that strife for power yeah became a part of the consciousness yeah. of atlantis and that's when it all fell apart yeah. yeah and there's this beautiful chapter in in that book where krishna talks about sitting essentially on the docks on you know of atlantis on on the day that it fell and him saying to the waves don't hold back because i'm here Wow, and I've got goosebumps as I say I that because that's, that's one of the most, I think. I'm going to cry again. There were was, was many moments in, in that book where I cried and 
because as it comes through, it's like I'm hearing the story at the same time. But it was just you, you could feel his love for that place and also his, I'm tearing up now too, his sadness. Oh, that totally got me. It's like what a ball now. I don't know why yeah. I want a ball. But, yeah. and, but I think what it does though is give us hope that we could get back to that place of, of beautiful equality where everyone is treated equally and everyone is loved and that goes across plants animals people you know crystals the elements it was like everything everything complemented everything else and no one was trying to take more than what they needed to and I I can only I I can't even imagine how beautiful earth would have been in that time and how abundant it was because you know krishna talks about how how barren our, our earth is now and it, there's so many beautiful parts of the earth still now but yeah there is yeah. but you know like penny said in the inner sanctum it all still exists it's just because we have this concept of linear time but what's been before and what will be in front of us it's all happening at once yeah so we could go there like we yeah. could, I mean, you've written about it in a book, but we could project our consciousness and go there. Let's go check out Atlantis. What was it like? Even um, future Earth, you know, I've had a lot of people on the shows that have been to future Earth and their astral body. And Garnet spoke about a woman who had some tragedy happen and she moved to an ashram in India and she went through forgiveness and enlightenment and moved herself to a state of consciousness. When she was meditating, she woke up, she was on a different planet. <laughs> like she's like she was in future earth she had ascended and um i'm like scratching my head thinking can that really happen can that really happen <laughs> and then like she took a physical body with her i'm like seriously wow right and uh and then she lived out the rest of her life on this future earth which sounds like what atlantis was like no money systems mm. you know like everyone working together in harmony with the earth everything and then she died and he spoke to her in her spirit and said, are you going to reincarnate back into future earth? And she said, no. Mm. It's the earth I came from that needs my help. I'm going back there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know, right? I'm just all teary today. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was doing healings the other day and I was telling, um, I was telling Jules something because often really beautiful learnings come through, through the healings. And I, I want to share them with Jules, my partner. And I was sitting on the couch crying and I was like, Oh my God, my heart is really open today. <laughs> so I, yeah, I know how you feel. <laughs> so Krishna, Krishna, little blue being, Oh, that, oh, that don't hold back because I'm here. Well, he understands that he's not his body anyway. He understands that he's just wearing a particular, yeah, but he was still there in a very physical way and he'd obviously lived with that community for a long time. I, I don't get the impression that people knew who he was and I, I don't think it's his style to have been, you know, I guess public about, about you know, the importance of his role or anything like that. But I don't know, for, for me that was a very humbling and, and probably the most beautiful moment of that book, just hearing him talk about that and imagining what that would have been like to have watched the waves coming in to see something that was so beautiful, um, essentially being taken back. But then I also get the impression that we're constantly going through rebirths yeah. on earth and yeah. Yeah. So candidness is another a chapter that, um, and the rapture, 
is another chapter that I, but I won't read them out. Maybe you, do you want to say anything about those two chapters? I mean, there's lots of, they're small. So the book is like small, couple of paragraphs each chapter. So there's lots of chapters just sort of, you know, called things like fear, candidness, hate, love, you know, envy, whatever, connection, oneness, all these different things. Um, you want to talk about the rapture? Because that was, again, what we've been speaking about. Yeah, so I thought that was a fascinating chapter. That was, I guess, one of my more um, moments where I realised that this wasn't just a beautiful book. This is a beautiful book that's been written for a pretty serious reason. Um, so, you know, if you, if you think back to this, this fourth chapter of where we're at on earth and how we are in this Homer Simpson era, that for us to go back into a more enlightened state, something pretty huge has got to happen on this planet to, to shock us into, into action and also into change. So, um, you know, Krishna talks about the rapture happening at, at different times on earth. So, you know, the dinosaurs, because I was always fascinated by dinosaurs as a kid. So that was one of my obvious questions that I asked Krishna about um, in one of our channeling sessions. Um, but the rapture for me is just that we are constantly going through this death and rebirth. And so that the it's rapture coming is no matter like what. the extinction thing. Is yeah. The, is that what the rapture is? Yeah, and and you know I have been told that that they that we will suffer a lot of loss in that time. Um, that I guess there a rebalance wouldn't be a rebalance if if a certain amount of, of Earth wasn't lost. And it's it's not because they want to take things; it's just that the Earth is so out of balance. We have to shift it back in. So oh, yeah, do you know Dolores Cannon's work? Yeah, I've heard a lot about her lately and I would really like to start well, She said left her body, but she um, regressed, you know, thousands of people and then documented everything they said. And, and a lot of them talked about what you're talking about, um, earth changes, and uh, which was interesting because I was listening to this after I'd had the Aboriginal dude come and t talk to me about Australia. And she talks about what's going to happen in different parts of the world. You know, California is going to fall into the sea and this is going to, mountains are going to rise and things are going to drop away. And like there's all these massive earth changes. Again, I don't, I don't know if this is in our lifetime. Um, anyway. And then she said, and people always ask why I never talk about Australia. And then she has this big grin on her face and the interviewer goes, well, why? And she goes, because nothing happens to Australia. It stays the same, like in the landmass stays the same. Yeah. And it kind of directly dovetailed with what the Aboriginal dude told me about, you know, people coming here after the rapture, I suppose. Interesting. Yeah, the, the only thing I've really heard about Australia is that, um, which, is, which is generally true for everywhere, is that, is that we don't really want to be in cities when this happens. And, you know, Australia, most of our cities are by the water. So, you know, we were told a long time ago, to move from where we were in Sydney to where we are now in Byron Bay. Um, and we're sort of more in the mountains um, up here. But in lots of my guidance, so I, I did a, a session for someone the other day who's looking at moving to Hawaii and Krishna was very explicit about her finding a house that was higher up in the mountains and that to enjoy the ocean for the next year, but to make sure that you were going to be high up. Well, damn, I'm going to be wiped out. I live right next to the ocean. <laughs> 
that's okay. You know, maybe it's like if the if the ocean comes and takes me away, I will be the same as Krishna. Take me. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be happy. I'll be happy, you know, like yeah. 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 I mean he's, he's he's talked a lot about too about how um how the population on earth will essentially split into two and that half half the earth's population will try and uphold the traditional structures um that we have on earth and the other half will just go back to you know a simpler way of living um so a different way of living yeah have you ever looked at the uh, venus project by jacques fresco it's familiar but i you oh, might have to remind me 2017 he left his body i should say uh, in 2017 at the age of 101, amazing futurist. So he designed a whole cityscape, a whole country. Like he just designed, he just redesigned the earth. He designed it with technology in mind, but um, without monetary systems, policing systems, um, government systems, just as a collaborative, you know, he designed a social project as well as um, an architectural project. Just amazing, amazing, amazing man, amazing amazing incredible man uh, whether it'll ever yeah i see it as very feasible and plausible i don't think we have to be, go back to being my daughter lives down on a sustainable farm down the coast and okay no water no electricity poops in the forest cooks on a fire and the guy that you know the community the three of them in the community he is like completely obsessed with being this sort of caveman mentality and not using yeah. any of the, but I don't think we need to do that. I think we can embrace technology and still live in harmony with nature. I really feel like that. Oh, I, I definitely think yeah. so too. And when, when, you know, my friends and I, when we, you know, talk about if we were to start a, a community of some kind or, you know, when this all eventually happens, that we definitely want someone who can make beer and someone who can make bread and, and that, and that we still, we still want to, you know, enjoy life. And I think, I think technology is so incredibly powerful. Um, I just think our reliance on it is too much. You know, if I think it's, it's always really interesting watching natural disasters happen in the world and watch how quickly humanity descends into chaos <laughs> within, you know, there was a, a festival on recently. I think it was actually last year. It's called the fire festival. And it, it was basically this beautiful festival on this amazing island in the bahamas or somewhere and it's a doco on netflix yeah it was yeah. it was really really badly run and there were all of these you know really wealthy people who ended up on this island but there was no food and i think they had water but within 24 hours they were burning down tents and you know stealing and and it's like wow we really it doesn't take much for us to to lose our heads and so if you think of something like banking going over, even if it went over for a week, how would we respond? And I think having answers to those questions is actually logically really healthy. To Well, I guess we're going to find out, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. And, and unless we actually, you know, I think I'd, whilst I, I know there's going to be a rebalance of some kind, I, I do believe that we can do a lot in a couple of years and we should try and do as much as we can. Well, that's what we've got a couple of years, right? Yeah. We've got a couple of years to... Funnily enough, just quickly, um, a friend of mine who's an astrologer, I uh, was chatting to her one day about 2020 and she frequently looks at the charts to see what world events are coming up. And she said that 2020 is unlike anything she's ever seen. 
before. So, well, there's some huge astrological alignment in keeping with like the harmonic convergence back in the 80s. There's some big astrological alignment in 2020 that mm. everyone's talking about. I used to study astrology years ago, but I kind of did my head in and I had to stop thinking about it. Uh, but I'll listen to astrologers, yeah, and they're all yeah. talking about this big alignment which is going to create some big shift. I don't know. There's plenty yeah. of stuff out there on the internet talking about um, births from the sun, you know, the event, mm. the event. There's plenty of people out there talking about it. Uh, and I think that nothing is set in stone. It's up to us. Shift. 100%. Yeah, which is why I love Krishna's approach with it in that it is a spectrum and there we... We're incredibly talented. We're incredibly smart. There's so many amazing people in this world. If we actually, you know, if everyone started speaking up and talking about what they're seeing and feeling and noticing and, and if we did all band together in that whole idea of oneness, we could do an incredible amount. It's just that we focus our energy often on the wrong things or not necessarily the wrong things, the things that we think that matter that don't. So what would Krishna's advice be to people listening to this? How can they make a difference in the event, in the shift, in the coming calamities? How can they, I think that one of them, we've discussed a few, like not being silent is, mm -hmm. yeah, speaking up, not being scared of ridicule and judgment and being ostracised. I think that's a big one. That's why I read that whole chapter. What else would Krishna yeah, say? Yeah, I think, I think two major things. One is is not not disregarding the impact you can make in your own backyard and in your own local community and how much change you can actually make and how just by you knowing your local, you know, land and how everything works, how much change you can affect in your area. And that logically, if we all did that, that things would naturally improve. Um, the other thing is that we're all here for a reason and we all have a purpose to fulfill on earth in this time. If we all naturally stepped into our purpose um, the byproduct of that would have to be, you know, a raising in global consciousness. It's just, it makes sense. So, you know, if we can become more conscious and, and stop looking out and start looking inwards more and looking at ourselves, um, that, that if we could just step into who we were born to be, everything would naturally improve because the spirit is so pure and it's just we're covered up by society's expectations and, and like you said, conditioning and, 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 you know, part of our job, I think, with the healing work that we do is pulling all of that stuff off people. And I always say to people, like, all of, everything you need is in you. You're just covered. <laughs> we just have to, you know, dig all of that off you and, and who you are will naturally reveal itself. Yeah. I've got this image of people wearing all these different overcoats. Yeah. Like taking off layers of coats coating yeah and I, I think too like going through the spiritual awakening process I, I think you can get to a point where, where you feel you're like oh my coats are all gone and then you have this moment where you're like no I've still got heaps <laughs> I know <laughs> and then and then absolutely. it's done. Yeah. absolutely you know like you said like Barbara Jean like I've been doing this work for over 30 years oh god was I covered was I thick layers of coats when I was young and just yeah, peeling them off. And when you think that you're free of them, then something up. Look, if you're up, if you're getting upset about something, then you know that there are still yeah. thought forms 
conditioned thought forms within you that uh, that you need to look at and work with. Yeah, so I, I have to say I don't get too upset too often these days, but every now and then it hits me and I go, whoa, wow, what's going on there? You know, what what am I believing to be true that's not? Yeah. And, um, yeah, they're the overcoats. They're the coating, coating layers and layers of uh, conditioned ideas of who we who we think we're not, not yeah. who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask what you think your biggest learnings have been going through? Because obviously I'm, I am still a baby. It's only been a few years for me. What have been your biggest learnings going through the spiritual awakening process? Oh, darn. I know fun, that's an really. actually <laughs> uh, It's so funny. So I was on the inner sanctum the other day and I was yabbering away to my little tribe about all this. And w- w- I was trying to think of Joe Dispenza's coming out to Australia, you know. Yeah. And um, he has this saying, and for the life of me, I couldn't remember what he said. It's the name of his book. It's the name of his most. And I'm like, how does he phrase that? How does he phrase that? And so after the inner sanctum, two hours online, I go out with a girlfriend who's a makeup artist. And she's sort of on the fringe of this work, right? And she was driving the car. We were going to go and see her mum. And she's like, you know who I really like? That guy that says you know, breaking the habit of being yourself. And I'm like, that's it. That was like, I was racking my brain for this way. He puts it, breaking the habit of being yourself. And it flew out of my girlfriend's mouth in the car. And I thought, (laughs) and that is just what it's all about. Like we think we are some way and we have this habitual way of being. Mm. And we just get into these grooves, these habits of being, habits. And we have this idea of what we think the world's all about and we create these habitual sort of neural pathways, world-worn pathways. And it's breaking those habits, exactly how he puts it, of this is is who I am. This is not who I am. So, so, okay, so here's a story for you. I was dating. Oh, you're going to love this. Oh, you are (laughs) so funny. I was dating a guy called Krishna. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because they give me stories to talk about, right? And I just realized the connection. An Indian guy called Krishna. I met him. I was a massage student at the time. And I had this client who hadn't turned up. I was in this, um, you know, massage place, like tanning place that had massage. And he had a strange name. And I walked out. I saw this Indian guy sitting there. And it was after the session had ended. I'd sat there for an hour, like waiting for this. And I kind of got a shock. I saw him and I went, oh thinking it's too late for you now. And it wasn't my client. It was just a friend of a friend who'd come to say hello and his name was Krishna. He decided he wanted to date me, so we started dating. Long story short, he had this best friend that he used to tell everything to who lived in Perth. He didn't tell me but that his best friend looked like Xena Warrior Woman. So (laughs) (laughs) then he told her that he was falling for me. She got really jealous and said, hmm, you can't fall because... He just worshipped her, right? And she mm. loved being worshipped. She didn't want to be with him. She just didn't want him to be with anyone. He just didn't want her to worship him. So he dropped me like a hot potato and went to see her in Perth and didn't tell me that, you know, sorry, I'm going to go and be with this best friend. So a month later, he calls me. And there's the habit of being myself. I could say, you bastard. Mm. You haven't rung me for a month. You know, all these plans. You just dropped me like a hot potato. And he's like, I'm sick, I'm sick. So I'm working as a young healer at the time, probably about your age. And um, I had a choice in that moment. Does the healer in me serve the patient or does the ego in me tell him to fuck off? Yeah. 
And I had that real, I had that choice in that moment. Isn't it interesting that his name was Krishna? Yeah. That's too funny. And he's on the phone saying, please, can I come over for a healing, please? And every part of me wanted to say, no, you know, F off. And then I, I thought, who am I? Who am I? Am I the dist girlfriend or am I a healer that's serving a client or a patient? And yeah. so I said, I'm the healer. I'm the healer. That's who I am. So I had to redefine myself. Yeah, and that's big. That's a big, yeah. big, big leap, especially and when you're carrying a bit of a wound as well. A huge wound, like abandonment issues, you know, like I'm not good enough issues. She was prettier than me and taller than me. And, you know, as I said, he failed to tell me she looked like Zena Warrior Woman. So all that crap came up and I could either believe it or not. Mm. You know, and I chose not to believe it. And that's, that's the work, you know, like do yeah. you believe who you are not or do you believe who you are? Who am I? Am I a being of love or am I a jealous person or, an, or a hateful person or an upset person or a depressed person or am I a loving person? Am I a happy person? So we just have that choice in each moment to choose who we are. Yeah. So funny that they gave me that story and his name was Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My guides have a great sense of humor. <laughs> I was yeah. I was saying though to my my stepdaughter Bella the other day she's fourteen and we were talking about something to do with school and I said why don't you just try doing the opposite? Like yeah. we are so stuck in our ways. It, it's actually a really fun game just to do the opposite of what you would normally do. Like there's there's a guy that I listen to who does these amazing podcasts and he talks about you know telling people to push their comfort zones and how a great thing to do is is to walk into a cafe and lie on the floor for five seconds. And he's like, and the thing is is you will survive. While socially you don't think that you will, it actually busts open these boxes that we keep ourselves in. And fabulous. (laughs) Yeah. It's if we, if we don't question, and that's, there's a spiritual teacher that I really love listening to, a human spiritual teacher called Adyashanti, and I, I adore his teachings and, and he frequently says that it's that we can get so caught up in seeking the answers and reading what other people's answers are, but the most powerful thing for us is actually the questions we continue to ask ourselves. And the one question he said that we can ask is what's the most important thing? And how we can ask that question for the rest of our lives. And he said, you know, and it's a hard nut to crack, but you'll get far further answering that question than what you will bring in any answers from anyone else because you will have actually have done the work. That's beautiful. That's in your book too. I'm pretty sure there was something in the book about the questions, the questions. Was that in your book or something else I read? Was that in the conversation? I know Krishna talks about questions. It might have been someone else, but yeah. um, Oh, no, it might have been Whitley's. No, I posted it on Facebook the other day. Yeah, humanity. Oh, that's what it was. It was somewhere else. It was like humanity is too young to have beliefs. Um, keep, keep, wow. yeah, keep, keep having, keep questioning, or something like that. That's what it was. It was Anne Streber, Whitney Streber's wife, who has passed, said humanity is too young to have beliefs. Mm. Um, keep humanity just needs more questions. Yeah, so question yeah. everything. So what's most important, another one, Neil Donald Walsh said in the Conversation with God books, or God said through Neil, uh, what would love do now? Mm. Yeah, massive. Massive. So in that moment of dist girlfriend, F off, healer, what would love do now? What would Mm. love do in that moment? Yeah. Yeah, there's another, um, 
there's a, a book a book that he's written on the spiritual awakening process, Adya Shanti, and it's called The End of Your World. And it's one of my favourite books. I just always find that every time I listen to it, I get something different. But he, he talks about the spiritual awakening process as being like falling out of a plane and that as we're coming down, of course, if you try to grab onto things, you're, you're naturally going to freak out and there's nothing to grab onto. So the more that we can just free fall, that eventually having that faith that we will end up where we need to be, and I think so much in our lives today, we are constantly grabbing for what we know and understand that we just, we, we don't have time to look at or even think about what we're not even seeing or yeah. could be experiencing if, if we just surrendered. Free fall. That's yeah. beautiful. You know, a lot of the podcasts I have are people have been through really dramatic awakening processes. So mm-hmm. NDEs. Um, you know, murder of, senseless murder of their children. I'm just thinking of um, an Australian healer. She was a doctor and she saw her little five, seven, ten-year-old child squashed in front of her in a car accident. Car came careering down the hill and he was walking up from the beach and the car went, squashed him. Mm-hmm. And that just woke her up. And now she's channeling the language of light and she's rearranging DNA and doing all this stuff yeah. from this total atheist, sceptical doctor that... It can be dramatic. It doesn't have to be. Mm. It doesn't have to be. It can be like what you're saying. It can be just asking questions, question everything. Yeah. I think just having that sense of openness that there might be more that you don't know about. Yeah. Um, Like even if we think about extraterrestrials, I think I've always thought it's very arrogant of us to think we're the only ones that are here. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so common sense to me. It's like, are you kidding? Like, what do you mean? Is there life on other planets? Are you serious? That's just ridiculous. It just seems ridiculous that we'd even have that, you know, like we'd even think that we were alone in the universe. Yeah. But I think, I think that need to remove all the ambiguity in our lives, it just crushes the creativity and the excitement and, and this whole other world that we never, you know, could potentially experience. yeah oh darling what time is it we've been yakking away for about an hour and a half (laughs) we have been there is so much to come from courtney beck just exciting exciting um let's hope that not too much disaster happens so yes so we can keep everyone get to work (laughs) yeah everyone get to work urgency so get the book conversation with krishna's so regardless of being channeled but from krishna it is a great book to give to people waking up. Um, yeah, maybe they find being channeled by Krishna channeling is, is cool. Maybe they think that's cool. But, uh, yeah, it is a great book for people waking up to give to friends who are trying to sort it all out, understand it all, because it's put very simply. It's very direct. It's very instructional. Do this, don't do that. You must, this, that. And, yeah. um, and what are the other books that are coming uh, um, so there's, there's Awakened Souls, which is Krishna's perspective on the path to enlightenment. Um, right. Universal Law, which is all about Atlantis. So we're hoping to head over to the US in, in the next couple of months. Um, are they finished? Uh, yeah, they are. And so the, the next book I'm moving on to actually, um, whilst Krishna will remain a big part of my life, I'm actually moving on to channeling Isis next. Right. And what does um, Isis have to say? Well, so her, her part in things, as I've been told, is all about the creation of the new earth right so where krishna is i guess helping us tie up the loose ends and setting us off on the path for what's coming um isis is picking up uh where krishna left off and helping us create 
and go where we need to so, in, in this new unexplored terrain. We could do a whole nother podcast on Isis. So who is Isis? So Isis um, is the Egyptian goddess of magic, of creation, um, motherhood. She, she plays many, many different parts. And it was funny because in my treatments, um, because Jules is a healer as well, so Jules, my partner, when she works on me, um, they'll often do upgrades and activations on me. And it was really funny. There was this Egyptian woman that sat in the background for a long time in my healings, and she just kind of sat off to the side in the darkness. And we never knew who she was. And then finally she stepped forward and revealed that it was Isis and that we were going to pick up um, next. But, yeah, she's, she's beautiful, very motherly, very strong. The healing work that we do with Isis is quite incredible. Krishna's energy is very cool and calm, um, whereas Isis, I see her energies, it almost looks like liquid gold and it's wow. like really deep sound waves that move through people so I, I haven't started that yet I imagine it's probably going to start soon um, but I can't wait to see what she's got to share so did she also work the walk the earth as a physical being at some stage I, guess I would she, I would imagine she would have yeah. um, I haven't gotten into that with her yet so right, quiz be, her. I'll update you as soon as I, <laughs> I hear um, yeah I had a girlfriend who um, killed herself and she was 36 and she was obsessing over Isis just before she died. Um, I didn't really understand it. She was just obsessing over it. Mm. Um, but I wonder what that was all about. Anyway, I'll have to ask my mob. Um, She's definitely a very strong mother figure and it's really interesting. A lot of the healings I'm getting at the moment, people are telling me they're coming to me because they're drawn to Isis. So, And it, it, was, it was that way with Krishna for a long time as well. So... Yeah, I think I think they push people like the tides. They push people in our direction when they're supposed to come to us. Oh, beautiful! All right, well, we'll have to have to book in for another session with ISIS. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's been thank beautiful, you. and thank you to everyone for listening in as well. I really appreciate it. It's been fascinating, fascinating. Thanks so much for being on the show. Just delicious. Thank you. Isn't Courtney absolutely beautiful? Just amazing. So conversation went where I didn't expect it to go today, but it's so interesting that we talked about 2020 and 2021 and earth changes and wake up calls because that's been on my mind, something chronic since I spoke to Penny Kelly in the Inner Sanctum last where she's talked about her students seeing their cities not functioning. Again, it's not set in stone. But it is calling us to awaken, to speak out, to do what we can to help shift the consciousness on this planet. It happens, you know, one at a time. It happens when you do the work on yourself, when you let go of resentment and hatred, do forgiveness, forgive all those people that you've ever known that dissed you. When you do the work, that's what, that's what it's all about. But 2020 is around the corner, 2021. Who knows what's going to happen? We'll have to wait and see. But, uh, yeah, big ramp up of the work to be done this year so that we can have more of a smooth transitioning from the old ways of being to the new ways of being. It doesn't have to be a sledgehammer moment, although it looks like it might be. If the unsustainable practices on our planet continue, we might need a bit of a sledgehammer moment for people to wake up from the money haze. You know, it's all about making the money, making the money, the bottom line, the profit. 
instead of nurturing humanity or the planet at large and her all her beings so do what you can and if you need help you know reach out i'm here to help you find the courage i think with barbara jean we spoke about the lion beings and the courage and ellen die you know how all the lion beings are with us with humanity at the moment especially the light weavers to give them courage to stand their ground to speak what they know to live what they know even though people around you might judge you or diss you or not invite you to dinner anymore because <laughs> you're a vegetarian <laughs> be a vegetarian anyway you don't have to be a vegetarian lots of love to you all and remember if you want support on your awakening journey as a new world teacher join us in the inner sanctum and remember to buy the books i'll have courtney's book on my webpage. if you want to buy the book you can buy it through our affiliate link and support the show conversations with krishna beautiful book it is very instructive telling you how to live and how to be but i think humanity needs it and uh, if you want to know anything else i've got some fabulous people coming up for the show dr jeffrey oh, oh i can't remember his last name i've got grant cameron coming up we're going to talk about the messages in the music or how the ets have put all the messages for humanities evolution and their enlightenment in the pop in all the pop music that's going to be a fascinating conversation with grant uh who else is coming up there's i've got stacks of people booked in for the coming the coming weeks so uh jeff o'driscoll was his name and uh, oh bobby richardson beautiful australian another australian girl coming up next week we're going to talk about human ets speak about human potential and the history of mankind that's going to be interesting with bobby and her et connections and all sorts of fabulous people love you share the love share your stories share your stories expand your awareness uh share your stories in the awakening soul series too uh book two is hopefully coming out this year with people's awakening stories we were just chatting about that and you know what i'm really looking for is some angelic stories people having angelic encounters encounters with what they know as an angel either they see them we had howard storm talk about when he went through his near-death experience a young doctor walked in the room and the room seemed to light up and he just he thought it was some young doctor and then when he walked out he said to the nurse who was that doctor and she said there was no doctor in here as an angel saying it's all right you're going to be all right everything like that so i think sharing the angelic stories just reminding us that we're supported and guided and loved and sometimes these angelic beings can manifest into what we perceive as physical people yeah i'd love some stories like that so that's in the years to come next year and also ets et encounters your et encounters i want to expand that consciousness too that we're not alone in the universe and that we have our et friends that are much more highly evolved than we are many of them most of them most of them and they're helping us as well so we have help you know there is help there's help out there to help us overcome grief to help us expand our awareness to help us expand our technology to help us expand the love so that we stop killing each other and killing the planet killing the animals and start living in a different way in a, in a new way a new society it's all part of the shift be a part of the shift so i'd love to hear from you if you have these types of stories love you all if you're you know looking for some guidance into who you are why you're here and why and what's what's it all about you know we can help you me and the mob sort that out 
get you activated. I've got a new elevator pitch. You want to hear it? The activator, accelerator, accentuator, and acclimator of the New World Teachers. Remember to buy the book Awakened by Death. It's a beautiful book. Love you all. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Bye for now.